0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devon Neal. Yeah, I say this very clearly when I speak of favor and grace tonight. I understand you cannot fall from gay- grace in the sense of losing salvation, but I want you to think about this for just a moment. First Corinthians chapter nine, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. Paul says. Uh, He's speaking to the Corinthians, and he's telling them, uh, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. When you receive a prize for running a race, you are being honored. You're being favored. Paul said at the end of his journey, at the end of his life, uh, he said, uh, I mentioned this this morning, I am now ready to be offered. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. A crown is a symbol of honor. It is a favor. Uh, Paul said that the Lord counted him faithful, having put him, put him into the ministry. It is an honor for God to entrust us with his service, and it is an honor to finish well and be crowned for faithfulness. So when I speak of favor tonight, I'm not talking about saving grace. I'm talking about serving grace. I believe that's the angle that I want us to understand. When we, you cannot if you've been born again, fall out of the favor of God to the point of not having salvation. But Paul went on in 1 Corinthians 9 to say, No, you're not, they were trying to race, run all, but one received the prize. So run that you may obtain. How many of us know we don't obtain salvation by how we run? So we know he's not talking about salvation. There. So run that you may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery, we're not mastering salvation. We're mastering the battlefield. We're mastering service. And every man that striveth for the mastery is what? temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest of any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. Can we lose God's favor in regard to service? We can. Paul believed he could become a castaway. When God told Mary that she was highly favored, it did not have to do with salvation. It had to do with serving. She was going to be entrusted with the Son of God in her womb to birth Him and bring Him into the world. And as such, there was a tremendous honor. Can you imagine the honor that was bestowed on Mary to be entrusted to birth the Son of God? I don't know of any woman that has had more honor than Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. Now, we know she was a sinner who needed a Savior, for she referred to Him as God, my Savior. So again, we're not talking about having earned favor with God in some way uh, to make us righteous, but as a righteous person who was faithful in the sight of God, she had favor with God. God was pleased with Mary. He was pleased to honor her with the privilege and the opportunity to serve Him. May I say this? God's call to service, God's using us in service is not something that is pressed upon us against our will. It's something that is offered to us, something that is available to us and is a privilege to be involved in. Whatever He entrusts us to do, God's not out here begging for people to serve Him because He's hard up. It is our privilege to get to serve the Lord and to do so we need, it is a favor, it is His favor on our lives. What a blessing when God says, you know what, I have something I'm doing in this part of the world or in this part of this community and I am trusting you to do it. What a favor from God. We need God's favor, with God's favor on Mary, He did the miraculous through her, did He not? God did a miracle through the body of Mary because she was yielded to Him. And I believe this, when we read tonight that Mary was highly favored, I believe that she lived according to Proverbs 3, 1-4 through 4 because God gives a recipe for having favor with Him. He tells us how to have favor with Him. It's not rocket science, it's not complicated. I believe this, I've made this statement I've heard other preachers make it, attitude is everything. I know adults today that have never gotten past the attitude of their youth. They've never gotten to the place where the attitude was adjusted to be in line with God's word and consequently have not had God's favor on their life. I know of people today who fill the internet with bitterness and they don't have God's favor. They'll tell you they do. They'll explain why they have God's favor more than anybody else would have God's favor. But you can hear they've, they've abandoned the principles we're going to look at tonight long ago and, 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 and as such have lost the opportunity to be used of the Lord and have His favor in the sense of being used in His service and fulfilling His will in our lives. So I hope what I'm saying to you by way of introduction makes some sense. Luke chapter 1, uh, if we start reading... I'm in Luke 2. Something didn't look right. I thought that's not where I want to be. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, And then in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her Mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He should be great and should be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then, of course, Mary begins to discuss how shall this be. The angel explains how it should be. But for our context, verses 28 and verse 30 are what I want us to see. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. That, that favor there has to do with highly honored. God is bestowing great honor on you. Uh, how many of you have ever had something like this happen? Maybe uh, I can speak to you kids tonight because I, I, can, I can remember days like this. Uh, your parent says, Hey, come here. I want to talk to you for a minute. You go, Oh, no. And for me, especially if it was dad. If dad comes out, Nevin, yes, sir. Mary, I want to talk to you. Oh, no, what did I do? And on a rare occasion, you'd say, you know what? I told you to do this. You did a very good job. Not because he was not good at complimenting, but because rarely did I do a good job, right? I normally need a reproof more than I needed commendation. I'm I'm just being honest. That's, That's why we have parents. We need someone to do that for us. But sometimes with my children, I do this and maybe this is cruel, but I'll speak to them in a tone. Hey, you come here. And I already know I'm going to commend them for something, but I want them to be terrified that they're in trouble for something and say, Well done. I gave you a job. You did a very good job. You know what that's saying? You have favor. When someone favors you, they are pleased with you. They are. Um, the Bible term would be their faces towards you. Now we have a lot of errant teaching today on the favor of God, by the way. Errant teaching on the grace of God. There are many today teaching that if you have been saved by grace, there is nothing you can do to get God's disfavor toward you. So I'm just assuming in Hebrews 12, God chastens us because He's happy with us. I've heard one false teacher try to explain that and say that's a mistranslation of the Bible and that's to the Hebrews and that God, the loving father, would never scourge his children. He goes to a Roman scourging and say God would never do that. Well, that's not what it's talking about anyway. It's talking about a father who spanks his child to get them to correct their behavior, right? God does not chasten us because he is demonstrating favor. He is spanking us or chasing us because he's displeased, correct? Mary, when the angel visits her, you can hear the fear. The angel has to say, fear not, Mary. You're not in trouble. God is pleased with you. You are highly favored, meaning God has selected you for a special task among others because He can trust you. How many of you know we can trust God, but what a privilege when God can trust us. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, Faithful. When God can trust us, we have found favor with God. So that's where Mary was. Now look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we are, of course, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ as a 12-year-old. As a 12-year-old, he has his mother Mary and Joseph her husband. And, of course, you know the story in the end of Luke 2. He had tarried behind in Jerusalem to sit among the doctors of the law to hear them and answer their questions Jesus, as a 12-year-old, was the perfect 12-year-old, just like he was the perfect anything else-year-old. What happens here is Jesus is misunderstood by his earthly parents, his stepfather Joseph and his mother Mary. He is falsely accused, but he's not told to do something that's evil. They say, you come home... and." He does what they say. And so uh, after they find him, they're, of course, displeased with him. At that moment, he wasn't at, his parents did not have, he did not have favor with Mary and Joseph. They're upset. They left him, didn't know where he was, and they're upset. But the Bible says this uh, in verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. By the way, she forgot who Joseph was to Jesus, did she not? And so she's she's messed up on some things. Unlike the ladies in this room, Mary was not a perfect mother. Her memory didn't always work correctly. She was an imperfect one. And so then she said, Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Um, and he goes on verse again, verse 48. When they saw him, they were amazed. Uh, verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. So not only have they falsely accused him, Mary has forgotten who he really is. When he explains, they don't understand. How many a young persons said, my parents just don't understand me? There's not a young person alive that doesn't feel that way at some point in time. Not, I, I don't think you can miss that. I don't think parents. I don't think there's a way we can raise our children in such a way that they can avoid the difficulties of adolescence and teen and youth. I, It's part of growing up to where we have to learn to trust God. My parents just don't understand me. Well, welcome to the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. His really didn't understand Him. He told them a truth and they didn't get it. The Bible says, And they understood not the saying which He spake unto them. Verse 51, And He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But His mother kept all these sayings in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and what? In favor with God and man. Meaning, God was pleased with him. That He did not live to be a people pleaser. But Jesus was the kind of young men that people, men, wanted to be around. The kind of young person that was not constantly an irritant. But the adults favored him. Yeah, we sure, you're coming over this afternoon, you're bringing your kids. Yeah, which ones are you bringing? We're bringing Jesus. Oh, come over. We love it when that kid's around. You with me? Now, not all young people have that kind of a testimony. Say, would you like to come over today? Yeah, which kids are you bringing? You start naming the kids. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot we have an appointment. <laughs> we can't have that one coming over. Are you with me? There are young people who no adult wants to be around them because of their disposition. That wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe verse 51, I read this because it's connected to what we're going to read in Proverbs 3. There are special blessings that are promised by God when we fear Him and when we honor our parents like we're supposed to. This is not a message about parents tonight. When we go to Proverbs 3, we're going to find that honoring a father's instruction is how we have favor with God. Having a right attitude toward parental authority and having a right retention of what we're taught by them, especially as they are teaching us the ways of God. And whether we're talking about our physical parent or our spiritual parent, God, Favor with God has to do with how we handle His laws and His commandments. So now back to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We're just going to read verses 1 through 4. Verses 5, 6, and 7 would match nicely with it. But what I want to see is we see that Mary had favor with God. God used her in a mighty way, honored her highly above any other woman in history. Uh, I I don't know about you. Ladies, which would you rather be, Eve or Mary? Well, that's a hard one, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, the one who thrust us all into sin or the one that God could trust to bring the Savior into the world. Eve brought sin into the world. Mary brought the Savior. I think that's an easy one. Eve did not have favor with God after she sinned. Uh, she, of course, was forgiven and restored to favor. But Mary, uh, of course, was, is the we look to her. People admire her. But there's a reason. I believe this. I believe Mary, as I said at the beginning of the message, had favor with God. and That's because she lived according to Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. We see that the Lord Jesus Christ, is the perfect, sinless Son of God, lived His personal, practical life according to Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. So let's read it. Proverbs 3, 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Does God tell us how to have favor with God and man? He does. He says, here's how you do it. So when I read verse 4, when it says, So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man, then I say, well, I want to pay attention to what it says prior to that. Now, if you don't want God's favor tonight, if someone says, I don't really care if God's pleased with me or not, then you've got a deeper problem than we can address in this message. If you don't want God's favor on your life, ask yourself what's wrong. Because that means you've got ill will in your heart toward God. If you don't want, whether it's an adult or young person, I don't care if God's pleased with me or not. Well, that's rebellion. And that's the sin of witchcraft. But I'm willing to assume tonight, if you're saved, you at some level want God to be pleased with you. I'll say it one more time. If you don't, then if you hear nothing else in this message tonight, hear this. Find out why you're not concerned with what God thinks about you. Find out and you and don't let it go and don't let God let you go until you find out what has you at odds with Him. I remember a season in my life where I thought, I don't really care whether I really meant that or not. I don't know. I was confused as any person could be. But I got to a point where I was hard and cold in my heart toward the Lord because I had concluded that He did not treat people well. Now, yes, you tell me, did I have a true conclusion or a false one? I'll tell you this, I believed Satan more than I believed God at that moment in my life. I believed that if you followed the Lord, it would turn out ill for you. So why follow him? And i had fallen for lies of Satan, hook, line, and sinker. And I can tell you this, at that point in my life, I can look and say there was a season there, the only evidence that God loved me was his chastisement. The only evidence that I was saved was how miserable I was. I had some outward evidences. I wasn't a bad kid to look at. Most people say he's a good young man. But in my life, in my heart, in my mind, I was miserable. And if I'd heard this message, I would have been one of those that said, I don't really care. I don't care if God has favors me or not. Let him favor somebody else. That's bitterness. And by the way, I'll call it what it is, is evil and wicked. And that attitude toward God is evil and wicked. And wicked, because you know what the Lord is? The Lord is good. He's always good, all the time. And when we have a bad attitude toward Him, it's not an indictment on Him. It's an indictment on us. So let's consider a few things in Proverbs 3 here, uh, in verses 1 through 4. He starts with this. So he gives some instruction. Verses 1 and verses 3 are are counsel uh, and, and commandments to the Son. Now this is an earthly father. This is Solomon. Speaking to his son, but fathers, let's be reminded tonight, fathers are to do what? They are not to provoke their children to wrath, we're not to provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The instructions Solomon gave his son were so directly from God that they're in our Bible as though they're directly from God. So Solomon's not uh, giving just parental advice. He is teaching his son about the word and will and ways of God. So much so that when we read my son, we can hear it directly from our heavenly father. The instruction that Solomon was giving his son is the instruction that God the father gives us. And he says this, my son, forget not my suggestions and let thine heart keep my example. He uses two words there that our world today finds offensive. He says, my son, forget not my law. Law is directives that give boundaries. I said this morning in this morning's Sunday school lesson, you realize there was law before there was sin? In the Garden of Eden, there was law. God said, you may freely eat of all the trees of the garden, but if you don't mind... Please don't eat the one in the midst. Is that what he said? God has never apologized for being God. He gets to make the rules. There's sometimes uh, in my life as trying to get some spiritual direction. I would talk to my dad, and I still do about things in the Bible. Why does God say this? And there's some things where God would change things. So you know, for instance, at one point in time, we understand that kinship married each other, and then God changed the law. At some point in time, he said not anymore. The law of Moses said, you can marry these, but you can't marry these. So explain what changed. Dad said, mainly God said so. That's a healthy attitude, by the way. God is God. He gets to make the law, right? And so he says here, if you want my favor, then you've got to have a right attitude toward my law. Law is a directive given by a duly ordained authority. May I say this? The first authority you ever have to deal with in your life is your Parents, may I say this, it's not your boss's job to bring you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's the boss's job to tell you how he wants his company run that you work for. It's not the government's job to tell you how to live your life in a a manner that is acceptable. That's not their role. Their role is to govern the society and the culture and make sure that evildoers are punished. But your parents' job is to teach you how to live. That's your parents' job. And God says, uh, you, you are to, the, the father here says, Look, son, I'm going to give you some laws. I'm going to give you some rules in your life. Don't forget them. I remember this. I remember when I went to get a job, and I've shared this with you before. My dad said, And heaven, you're, you're, you're at a point now, you can make your own decisions. I was 18 or so, and I, was, uh, I had jobs before then, but now I'm getting into a career type job. He said, You go out job hunting. He said, I I strongly urge you, you go in there and you tell them, I'll work six days a week, but I will not work the first day of the week. That's the Lord's day. He said, and if you'll establish that right off the bat, number one, you'll establish a pattern for your life that honors the Lord's day, honors the Lord's house. You'll make yourself available to that boss, but you need to make that decision right now. You know, my dad was giving me law. He said, you need to have this rule in your life out of honor for God. Some people think that under grace, there's no law. May I say this, favor is another word for grace. And if we want God's favor in our lives, we need to live according to His law. May I say this, getting saved does not make me lawless. It changes my attitude toward the law of God. I no longer have to be constrained to obey by fear. I now am willing to obey by faith and love. That's the difference between law and grace. And so he says here, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. He's, going, he's telling us how to have favor with God. He's giving uh, the, the directive that you're going to have to have the right attitude and response to god's authority his commandments and his law so uh, forget not my law let thine heart keep my commandments just note a couple of things here this deals first of all of course with attitude you know what we we retain forget means to you know do not forget means to retain something we retain what we care about we retain what we care about first and foremost as adults tonight, we're not exempt from this. It's not a message to the kids. It's a message to all of us. Our parents gave us some law. We've been taught since the 1960s, that, and it's amazing to me, the very people that have taught us and advocated rebelling against the Bible, rebelling against parents, rebelling against local church authority, rebelling against all these things, now seek for there to be some sort of a, a stronger form of civil government. It's, it's, it's a backwards world, as you well know. Well, I'm going to tell you this. God says that if we want His blessings, we have to respond properly to parental authority. We have, we have a whole generation of Christians today that seem to live their lives explaining why everything parents taught them was wrong. Their entire people have movements on the Internet throwing away the laws and commandments of parents and telling why they were bad. I want to tell you something. If a parent taught you to do something wickedly, that's bad, of course. What I'm talking about, I think of in the Old Testament, those, uh, those men that Jeremiah brought in, he said, drink wine. Remember that? Sons of Jonadab. And they said, we will not. You know what? They had a law from their earthly father, which was connected with a law from their heavenly Father. They said, we can't do it. We won't drink wine. I don't believe it's fermented wine. They weren't allowed to touch anything of the fruit of the vine. They didn't build houses. You know what? They had remembered their Father's law. They had said, you know what? We're not forgetting what Dad taught us. And we're going to retain that. That has to do with the mind. Uh, We're going to remember it, I should say. That's the mind. retaining it has to do with the heart. May I say this? Uh, we'll, just, we'll continue to use you young people tonight because you're being trained and taught at home. Uh, if I started asking the Neal kids or the Stanch kids or the King kids, what are some rules in your house? Can I, have a, can I have a volunteer from each family? Ethan, what's a rule in your house? One of Dad's rules. Keep your bedroom clean, all right? it's a good rule. Neil kid, I need a volunteer. Jalen, what's a rule in our house? Pick up your toys when you're done with them, or anything else when you're done with it. Right? Put it back where it belongs. Stance, child. I need a volunteer. What's the rule in your house? What's it, Riley? Clean the kitchen. I'm hearing a common theme here. <laughs> clean stuff up. Right? right? Keep your room clean. Pick up your toys when you're done. Clean the kitchen after dinner. When you're done with things, put it away. Clean it up. Get it right. Now we have rehearsed some laws. Now those may seem minor. Now, that's, those are obviously remembered. I would say we could go on a little longer. I could start talking about rules I had when I was growing up. Not just laws about how to live in the house, but how to live life. Uh, my parents gave me a law. They said, you, know, you need to make your Bible a priority in your day. Now, I can tell you when my life personally started slipping, when I knew that law, I remembered it, but I didn't retain it. You with me? I had heard preachers, and I so distinctly remember this, say, Your downfall spiritually will begin with the neglect of your Bible in prayer. I had a better prayer life at nine than I did at thirteen. I had a better I was a better witness at seven than I was at fourteen. I was a better son at ten than I was at fifteen. Because at about 13, I still knew the law that the word of God should be first in my day. But I went years neglecting personal Bible reading. My mom and dad say, you read your Bible? Sure, why not? I'd go read a verse and come back and say, yep, I did. A lot of sin going on there. I knew the law. I could rehearse the law. I could tell you. If you said... What's the key to spiritual stability and growth? Read your Bible, first thing, give God his proper place, pray every day, stay in church, witness to people. Those are all good laws, good rules. I knew them, but I didn't retain them. He says here, forget not my law, that's the head, but let thine heart keep my commandments. May I say this, you know the best way to keep your head remembering what God wants you to do? Get it in your heart. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I remember about the age of 16. I got my own room for the first time. 16. And my older brother had moved out and got married. We were living. And I remember thinking, you know what? I want to keep my room tidy. And the laws that I'd been given about a clean room all of a sudden became mine. And no one ever had to remind me to do it. If someone left something in my room, I griped at them. My mom didn't have to gripe at me about making my bed. I did it because I wanted to. Now I was retaining. At the age of 16, almost 17, I yielded my heart to God in acknowledgement that I had been sinning against Him. I went home that night and read my Bible, and no one has had to remind me to read it since. Some of you can say the same thing. You've been reading your Bible consistently without your wife or your husband saying, Hey, did you read your Bible today? No one has to tell you because it's here. You've read Psalm 1 and you say, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate when? When? day and night and you said you know what if that's the blessed man that's me no one's gonna tell me to read my bible i'll read it in the morning hey i figured this out i can read it more than once a day if i want to i can also read it at night and after i've read it you know what sometimes i need bible but i don't have it in my hand you know what i can do i can quote it from memory and be reminded, and so can you, this is what God said today. My dad doesn't call me up and so, say, haven't you read your Bible this morning? They asked me that when I was a kid. They don't ask it today because it went from here. I remember the law, but one day I retained it. I yielded to the fact, you know what? Spending time in God's Word is Right? It is what is good. It is pleasing to God. And the law was then in my heart. That's what grace will do. It will get it from your head and into your heart. Truth. And so he says, my son, forget not my law. And then he tells us how. He says, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Help me tonight. What does it mean to keep something? What's that? Guard it. Don't let anyone take it from you. You guard that thing with all your life. The Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. So it has to do with safeguarding. If we're going to keep God's commandments in our heart, we're going to say, Nothing's going to rob me of what He's told me to do. I am going to cling to His instruction for my life. And if someone gives me something contradictory to that, I will reject that so that I can keep what He has said. So 2 Corinthians 10 is all about, verses 3 through 6, But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, help me now, casting down, imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the what? Obedience of Christ. That's called keeping His commandments in my heart. Once I know what my Father in heaven wants me to do, I'm not going to let any contradictory instruction take its place. Listen, there are conflicting ideas in this world about how you should live your life. Is there not? There are conflicting ideas about what is right or wrong. Listen, it ought to be once I know what God wants, nothing's replacing that. That's what He means. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. There was a time in my life when I pretended to honor and obey parents, but there was a time in my life when I yielded to that. I remember teaching a Sunday school class. Now, I'm being redundant, so forgive me, and I've shared some stories before, but I'm an 18-year-old young man teaching a Sunday school class of 10 to 16-year-old boys. I had boys in my class two years younger than me. I'm teaching them to obey their parents. I'm teaching to honor of father and mother. I'm still living under my dad's roof as an 18-year-old young man teaching the Sunday school class. He's my pastor and my dad. There were some parts of my life that were not consistent with what I was teaching. Boy, you talk about the Spirit of God working you over. And so you're telling them do this, but your dad wants you to do this, and you know that's not the way you're living your life. Well, that's not my conviction. I would think the Spirit of God would say, but it's His. Do you have a conviction? You may not have a conviction about that. But do you have a conviction about honoring your father and your mother? And I did, by the way. That was a conviction for me. Well, then you don't have to have that conviction. You just have to have this one. And so, my life changed. And I remember talking to my my then-to-be wife in the future. We were dating one the time and telling her some of the decisions I was making. God was dealing with her about some of the same things. We share with each other, you know what, we're going we're gonna to start doing things this way because that's what our parents want. And that's what God says. I'm just trying to say this. There's a difference between remembering and retaining, and God says the way to remember is retain it. The way to remember it in your head is retain it in your heart. You may know it's the word of God, and you may know that it's right, but you may not have yet accepted that as right for your life forever. The Bible talks about, I was reading the account of the birth of John the Baptist. And one of the things that Zacharias said, that the reason for Christ's coming is to deliver us from our enemies that we may serve God without fear all the days of our life. Serving God is not something we do for a season. It's something that once we do, we do forever. And the way to do so is to not forget his law, but keep his commandments. Again, thy word have I hid in mine heart, that am I might not sin against thee and so that's the counsel we're given that we are to reverence uh, the word of god we are to remember it and retain it in our hearts then we're given some consolation look in verse two he says don't forget my law i might keep my but keep my commandments for here's why for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee what do god's commandments and his law add to us length of days You know, it's interesting. He says length of days and long life. Isn't that the same thing? How many of you have had days that flew by, and when they got done, you got nothing done? And how many of you have been able to redeem the time? I believe length of days has to do with redeeming the time. Ephesians 5, we read it this morning. Turn there if you would real quickly. I don't know about you, but I don't like wasting my time. The longer I live, the less I like it. I didn't say I don't do it. I said I don't like it. I don't like looking back and saying, Man, I just I just blew an hour and a half of time. What was I doing? That has no eternal value whatsoever. All that did was give me a fleeting, whoo, that was an enjoyable time. Uh, and, and so Ephesians chapter five, God tells us and commands us to redeem the time. And it's right in line with Proverbs chapter three. It is by circumspectly obeying God. First Ephesians chapter five. I remember, oh, let's go back, I'm reminiscing tonight, bear with me. I remember sitting, in, one of the times it stands out to me, I was sitting in a youth meeting on a Saturday night, we had them every Saturday night at the church I went to. Um, the preaching was good, and I remember somebody giving their testimony, somebody probably 55, 60 years old. And I remember when they gave it, a pa- I'm a guy who learns through patterns. Right? Give me something two or three or four times that says the same thing, and you're going to get my attention. And I start seeing patterns form. I say, "Hmm, there's something to this." That's the way my mind functions. I think most of our minds do to some degree, because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. But this is a 55, 60 year old man. He's speaking of his testimony. He didn't get saved till later in life, and he speaks of the regret he had that he did not serve God sooner. And I remember hearing that, and it resonated with me. This is, this is. I hear this story again, and again, and again. And often it would be men who had been raised under the sound of God's Word had rejected the counsels of God's Word for a season in their life and said, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. I wish I would taken God's Word seriously sooner. And the Spirit of God, it's as though I'm so thankful that God works on us, even us as young people. is always say, are you listening? Are you listening? You're doing what they regret. Do you want to be 60 and say, I regret my life? You young people, for just a minute, listen to me. Do you honestly want to be 35 years old and say, I've been a fool? don't have to be. You don't have to throw your life in a pit. You don't have to ignore God. You don't have to take or leave the Bible. You can say, I'm going to retain what God says. I'm going to take it seriously. And as God has ordained parents in my life to instruct me, I'm going to listen. I'm going to do so on purpose because I want to. That's what it means to do it from the heart. Ephesians 5. And it applies to us as adults as well. Ephesians chapter 5 says, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The fool lives like this. Well, if it's fun and I can't see a reason not to do it, I'm going to. For lack of a better word, that's just stupid. If I enjoy it and find pleasure in it, and I can't reason in my own mind why I shouldn't, then I'm going to do it. That's foolish. <laughs> circumspectly says, what is going to be the outcome of the decision I'm making right now? Does this please God? Does it not please God? If it doesn't please God, then I'm an idiot because I think I'm smarter than Him. I mean, honestly, if we're doing things that we know don't please God, we're sure of that. You know what we're saying? I am smarter than the one who created the universe. That's not very smart. <laughs> All right. So see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, doing what? Verse 16 redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, I think evil means limited. You don't have a number of days to live and every day is only so long. We are bound by time because of sin. In eternity, there is no time. (laughs) But we are and the days are evil. So you say, I want length of days. You know what? You want to make your days count? Remember God's law. Keep His commandments. Retain them in your heart. They'll give you length of days. You want to make a day worthwhile, get you up early in the morning, starting out right and investing your life wisely and give you length of days, days that, you know what, fools that get slothful and sleep half their day away and throw half their lives away, if not more. But you know what, if you'll retain God's law and His commandments in your heart and, and follow the counsel and instruction He's given you from His Word, and we can get very specific, by the way, about His law and His commandments, If we'll do that, it'll give us length of days and long life. Meaning, it'll not only lengthen your days, it'll lengthen your lifespan. What's the commandment, the first commandment with promise? Honor and obey your parents. Honor and obey your parents. Uh, You know what one of the things is that that marks a wicked culture? First Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans chapter 1 and Second Timothy chapter 3? Disobedient to parents. I don't care what my parents say. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care. I know my parents don't want this, but what they don't know won't hurt them. Disobedience to parents is a mark of a wicked culture. And I'll say it again. There are adults who are all grown up and have never repented of the disobedience to parents that they had in their childhood. I say this. You're an adult sitting here tonight, and you were a disobedient child, and you still justify your disobedience. You need to get right with God tonight. This is not just for kids. I've heard, listen, I've heard grown adults who got into serious trouble in their teen years and as young adults boasted and bragged about what they did in disobedience to their parents. I'm going to tell you, the greatest regrets I have in my life tonight are the times that I willfully, purposely disobeyed my parents. There were times in my life I knew what they wanted me to do. I went behind their back and did something I shouldn't do. Shame, shame, shame on me. God's forgiven me. They've forgiven me. I have no pride whatsoever in that. It was foolish. There are adults tonight that disobeyed parents and to this very day still have animosity toward parents, not because the parents weren't good parents, but because the child was not an obedient child. I'm just saying tonight that if we want God to bless our days and we want long life, the Bible says, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. "'Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth.'" Uh, and, and upon the Lamb of the Lord that God giveth thee. It's the first commandment with promise that if we'll treat our parents the way God tells us to, He will give us a long time to serve Him. And I say this, some reap 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. You ever wonder why? The Bible doesn't tell us, but one of the obvious reasons would be why is some people don't have as long to serve. Oliver B. Green, the evangelist from Greenville, South Carolina, said, I won't live a long life. He told people that. He was known to say so. He said, I'm convinced I will not live a long life because of how rebellious and disobedient, how awfully I treated my mother in my youth. And he didn't. I don't think he ever made 60, did he, Brother Pope? 61. That's not a long life. And he knew it. And he said, so I'm going to give him what i got while I've got it. Now you say, well, some people live long lives who are disobedient to their parents. God's merciful, is he not? Some people, he's given them a chance to get saved. But listen, I want to be... I, I don't want to be shriveled up someplace unable to serve God, but if God will love me and give him 85, 89, 90 years of service, I want to serve him as long as I can. How about you? You want God's favor on your life? Then you got to remember the laws of God, and that's directly connected, as we can't disconnect it from honoring father and mother earthly as well. Forget not God's law and let your heart keep his commandments. Length of days, long life. And what's the next thing it says? And Peace shall they add to thee. Peace. Great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. Let me ask you a question tonight. Just, I believe we should ask this here. Are you offended tonight? Are you offended at somebody? Has Offended means I'm, I'm tripped up. I, I'm not obeying. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to because I'm offended. Let me say this. When you love God's law, nothing will offend you. The disobedience of another person won't offend you. I ask you this. Did Jesus get offended at his parents? Did he? Could he would we? Look, when we don't want to do what God wants us to do, we are looking for a justifiable reason not to. When I don't want God's rule in my life, I'm looking for a verifiable excuse as to why I'm justified in disobeying. That's nature. But if I love God's law and I say, you know what? I am so grateful for a God who would give me laws that will prosper me. You know what God's saying in verse 2 here, Proverbs 3? That His commandments and His laws are designed to bless us. They're not designed to destroy us. Look at 1 John chapter 5, if you would, very quickly. 1 John chapter 5. I'll say something. Most people will balk at this, but it's a Bible truth. How your life turns out and whether or not the favor of God's going to be on you to use you will have everything to do with how you handle God-ordained authority. Bottom line. Starting with the authority of this book. It's all determined on that. God's not going to change for any of us. He's the same. James chapter 4 says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Prior to that, it tells us in James 4, 6 that he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. He says the same thing in First Peter chapter 5. Here in First John 5, where we're at, the Bible says this about his commandments. Whosoever believeth, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his... Commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. They're not bad. God's commandments are not bad for us. Now, I'll tell you something. Uh, what, Jeff, was it you just tell me that you knew the fellow that said anything? It's the guy in the front of Vogue magazine, bless his heart, wearing a formal dress. Tattooed arms and a tattooed chest and in a formal dress, expressing himself. He said, anything that restricts who you truly are is bad. We should be restricted in no way. I don't want that man around my children. You with me? Because that's who he is. And By the way, you could preach a long time right there. We've said this day was coming. And what I'm trying to say to you tonight is God's commandments are not grievous. If I see God's commandments as grievous, meaning... Man, God is so restrictive. His instructions in the Bible narrowing my way. If you live for God, you can't have a good time. I'm believing somebody other than God. He says, if you will keep my law, if you will retain my law, forget not my law, and let thine heart keep my commandments, they'll give you length of days, long life, and peace shall they add to thee. You know what? Great peace of they which love the law, nothing shall offend them. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he... Trusteth in thee. Can I ask you this? Here's a good good test for you now. How's your level of peace? You have peace tonight? You have peace that passes all understanding or are you all wrought up inside? God intends us... I I didn't ask, is everything the way you want it to be? That's not true for any of us. But do you have peace? You see, obedience to God will give you peace. Because you can say, you know what? I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I know that if I'm being obedient to Him, it may not look right now, but it'll turn out right. You see, a right attitude toward the Word of God, a right attitude toward His law and His commandments and a retention of those in one's heart gives length of days, long life, and peace shall they add to thee. What will? God's law and God's commandments will add these things to you. Number, verse number 3 in Proverbs 3. So we see God's counsel. We see His consolation there in verse 3, and He'll come back with some more in verse 4. But He says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. What an odd way to state that. He doesn't say, Don't forsake mercy and truth. He said, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. And I believe the idea here is not so much the receiving of mercy and truth, but the giving of it. We and I, we need to bind mercy. That's tenderness of heart, coupled with truth about our neck. Truth without mercy is cruel. Mercy without truth is corrupt. Just think about that. If I'm all mercy, then I'm willing to let somebody buy with something and never do anything about it. Well, I just want, I want them to know I love them. I just want them to know I care about them. I wouldn't want to cross them. I wouldn't want to confront them. I wouldn't want to be unhappy. So yeah, I know they're sinning, but hey, I love people. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to make people upset. It's good to have mercy, but you've got to couple it with truth. The best concept I have of mercy and truth in my mind is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, one of the uh, authors I read to get some help on what it means there in verse 3 refers to this as compassion. I think it's the right way to put it. Compassion does not pretend that someone doesn't have a problem. Compassion is honest about what's going on with them and willing to show mercy. Willing to show, the word mercy there has to do with kindness, being gracious, and willing to extend favor yourself. Uh, what can happen is you and I, in the way of God, can get hard-hearted, can we not? The Bible has to tell us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another. That's mercy. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The Bible says of our Lord Jesus Christ, He was full of grace and truth. How many of us know we tend to be one of the two? All mercy or all truth? Well, I just love people. I want to give people a a chance. I, I know they're doing wrong, but I love them. Well... Uh, There's times if you really love them, you got to tell them the truth, speaking the truth in love. Some people say, well, the truth is so-and-so is rotten. They don't deserve another chance. They deserve this and they deserve... Well, that's true, but if they're repentant, they ought to have mercy. And God says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. So bind God's commandments, but that has to do with His Word and His will, but mercy and truth are His way. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Now, let's look at a few verses. There's three more that deal with mercy and truth in Proverbs. Look at 14.22. There are two words that are coupled together. They're in the Psalms repeatedly. Psalm 85.10, Psalm 89.14, Psalm 105, Psalm Psalm 100 verse 5, Psalm 108 verse 4 are all verses that deal with mercy and truth together. Psalm 85.10, I believe it is. It says, mercy and truth have kissed one another in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 14, 22 says this, Do they not err that devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. All right, Mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. If we look on to Proverbs 16, verse 6, the Bible says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Not just by truth, and not just by mercy. May I say this, every one of us, by, by mercy and truth, iniquity was purged from our lives. If God dealt with us only in truth, we'd be in hell. If he dealt with us only in mercy, we'd still be living rotten lives because we'd be living according to our lust and getting by with it. But he says the truth is because of your sin, you deserve the fires of hell. And when we agree with that truth and said, I agree with you, and he said, then you have my mercy. I'll pardon you. In our homes, we have to deal with sin. In our lives and in our children's lives, in our marriages, how many of us know iniquity gets there? It's by mercy and truth. We do not look the other way and pretend there's not sin when there is. We name it, we rebuke it, we reprove it, and when it's repented of, we forgive it. Iniquity gets into the church, doesn't it? By mercy and truth, it's purged. Well, around here, we ain't got room for people that sin. Well, let's all resign membership and go home. Well, around here, we haven't got room for people that call out sin. Oh boy, look out. When people sin, we call it what it is. That's truth. And when everyone agrees with God, mercy is extended from him and should be from one another as well. Mercy and truth. They go together. God says, Don't ever let them forsake you. I have found seasons in my life where I just want to excuse sin because it's too difficult to deal with it. That's mercy. I've found seasons in my life where I want to kill people because of sin. That's truth. If I'm all truth, I'm dangerous. If I'm all mercy, I'm dangerous. But mercy and truth together. Never denying the truth. Romans 1 says it this way. In a corrupt culture, we accuse and excuse. Either accusing or excusing. You look that up. Accusing, that's truth. I'm concerned about the so-and-so did this and -and so-and-so did that. We're way up here thinking we're above everyone else. Accusing, accusing, accusing. And then finally it comes my time and sins in my life. Well, it's the way I was brought up. It's my mate. It's my children. It's... Excusing, You with me? That's neither mercy or truth. So let's read one more mercy and truth in Proverbs 20, 28. Proverbs 20, 28. Bible says mercy and truth preserve the king and his throne is upholden by mercy. A king knows he cannot ignore the truth and a king knows that he cannot be hard-hearted because of the truth. Tell you something, this life has a way of hardening your heart. You know why? Because of iniquity. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That means people's sin makes me irritated and upset, or people's sin hurts me, and mm, I get hard-hearted. Love waxes cold. But you know what? God says you keep them both. You retain, not only retain my law, not only retain my word and my will for your life, hide them in your heart, but you keep mercy and truth. You bind them about your neck. You know what? Mary was called a lot of things growing up, was she not? After she birthed the child Jesus. She was called a fornicator. Was she not? Her husband was referred to as being immoral. Was that true? But you know what? I believe she must have observed very closely her son and savior. Because in Acts chapter 1, you know what Mary's doing? With the brethren that had been unbelieving, she's there in the upper room serving Christ. Mercy and truth preserved her. She she was able to get past the false accusations. She was able to keep her heart tender and true at the same time. You with me tonight? Neither to the right hand nor to the left, mercy and truth. And so we're talking about how to have favor with God. Length of days, long life, it says in verse 2 of Proverbs 3, "...and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart." Listen, if you start seeing your heart getting cold and hard toward human beings... Bind that thing back around your neck like you would a scarf. Look, this tie tonight is bound around my neck. I used to do pre-trips on the bus. My supervisor had warned me, you watch that tie. Don't ever do a pre-trip with your bus started. You know why? Because it's bound around my neck. And that tie gets caught in the fan belt and I'm dead. You know what? We ought to have mercy and truth so bound. I am not willing to compromise truth. I am not willing to pretend that sin is not sin. You know what's destroying a lot of our churches tonight? There are things that are sinful that God says is sinful, and in the name of mercy, we've redefined God's terms. Immorality is still immorality. Immodesty is still immodesty. Indiscretion is still indiscretion. Thievery is still thievery. That does not change. And one of the reasons we can't see repentance is because we're not calling sin what it is. One of the reasons we never have the opportunity to extend mercy is folks don't think they need it. Mercy and truth. We should never be willing to redefine terms because we like someone. Listen now, God is no respecter of persons, neither should we be. And I believe it takes the grace of God to do this. But God says, you, you determine in your heart, I won't deny the truth because it is a person that I care about. If I look in the mirror of God's word and it nails my hide, I'm not going to be a respecter of persons. If it's my child, if it's my mate, if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's my parent, if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. Mercy and truth. And then when we hold to the truth, and perhaps that individual says, "You know," and by the way, you can have mercy if they want it or not. You can keep your heart tender toward an offender. When are we supposed to forgive somebody in our heart? Before they repent or after? Before. We extend it to them when they repent. But we're to forgive in our heart. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're doing wrong. They are doing evil. They are crucifying me. But I'm going to keep mercy as well as truth. Amen. So he says this. He gives us counsel about his commandments, counsel about compassion of heart. It so he gives us consolation. If you keep his commandments, you keep his law, it will give a long life and so forth. And then we have the confidence of verses 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Says if you retain what God says, that's God's word and will. And you retain God's way, that's mercy and truth. He's not going to be a respecter of persons. He's not going to change what is true and right for people but he's also not going to harden himself to the point that he's unwilling to forgive. If you'll do that, you'll have God's favor on your life. You keep your heart... Here's, you know what boils down to? You keep your heart right toward God as your authority, and you keep your heart right towards your fellow man, and God will give you favor. Love God, and genuinely and truly love people by being unwilling to compromise the truth and unwilling to get a hardened heart. Can you ever find a place... Listen. The Lord Jesus at one point, as her Savior, rebuked his mother Mary pretty sharply. She came requesting a hearing with unbelieving brethren. They don't believe he's the Christ. By the way, I thought about that the other day. How do you grow up in the same home with Jesus Christ and not think he's the one? They grew up in the house with him. But a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, in his own house. And here they are, they grew up with it. What did Mary do wrong that those boys were unbelievers? You with me? She was a wonderful mother. But I'll tell you what she did right that brought them to faith. When rebuked by the master, she loved truth more than self. She loved truth more than her sons. And she received mercy, and so did they, because she did not abandon mercy and truth. Mary lived with the favor of God in her life, I believe, to the day she went in the grave because she bound the law of God about her neck and in her heart and she bound mercy and truth about her neck said, you know what, I'm going to stay submitted to God and I'm going to stay right toward people by not excusing sin but not getting hard-hearted either. I don't know where you're at tonight. God does. God knows why he gave us this message. God knows what we needed tonight. We've touched on a lot of things. But do I have God's favor on me tonight? Is my attitude right toward Him? Am I submitted to His authority over my life? So much so that I am remembering and retaining His laws and His commandments? Am I hanging on the very words of God? Okay, I just want to know what... He's my authority. I want to do what He tells me. I want to make sure that whatever I do, I'm doing what He wants. Number two, am am I overlooking and redefining sin because either I or a loved one is involved in it? Have I abandoned truth? Have I redefined terms? Am I hardened against someone because they've sinned and hurt me? You've hurt me this many times. Mm -hmm. People. Mm -hmm. People. I'll tell you something. In this world, if you're going to be used of God, serve people. People are going to sin against you and hurt you. By mercy and truth. Amen? On your heart.